the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Don't you know that Satan loves to bring division to the body of Christ? And he will exploit our differences to his advantage wherever and whenever possible. Be they differences along gender lines, or racial lines, or economic lines, or education lines, or denominational lines. Satan will do what he can to bring about division and discord in the body of Christ because he knows that we are less capable of advancing the kingdom when we are divided than when we are united. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel, Italysburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Psalms. Have you ever come to God just because you wanted something from Him? If it weren't for the fact that you really desired for Him to work a miracle in your family or give you that promotion or heal you of that illness, you wouldn't have sought Him with such passion and diligence. God desires to fulfill us, but until we learn to value God for who He is, we will never know the depth of intimacy that comes from being satisfied in Him. In today's message, Pastor Gary will remind us that God is worthy of our devotion, and we should seek Him for His sake. Well, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Psalms, chapter 131 through 138. this particular psalm doesn't give us a byline. It does mention David's name a few times in this psalm, but even then it doesn't mean that he wrote it. He may have, we just don't know for sure. Some Bible scholars believe that David's son Solomon wrote this psalm because Solomon quotes from this psalm in 2 Chronicles 6 when he dedicates the temple of God. Whoever was inspired by the Spirit to write this, one thing is clear. It expresses about David his heart for the worship of God. David loved to worship the Lord. And he made it his undying goal to have a temple of God, a dwelling place for the Lord. Because remember, I mean, for, for centuries, the Jews did not have a permanent dwelling place, a permanent temple where, where they could worship God until David. Now, David was not permitted to build the temple because God said to David, your hands have shed blood. David was a warrior. And so David received from God the architect's renderings of the temple, and he handed it on to Solomon, and Solomon would be the one to build it. But his heart was always for a dwelling place, and David says, I can't sleep 
until God has a dwelling place. That's what he means here in between verses 3 and 4. He says, I will not enter my house or go to my bed. I will allow no sleep to my eyes, no slumber to my eyelids till I find a place for the Lord. David's life is divided into three sections. He was a shepherd, he was a warrior, and then he became king. But David was always a worshiper. As a shepherd, as a warrior, and a king, David was always a worshiper. He had it in his heart to always exalt God and to praise his name and to make sure that God was not only personally exalted, but nationally exalted. When he became king, he made it a part of the national disposition of Israel. We will worship God. We will give him glory. We will exalt his name. That's what he means also in, in verse 9. He says, may your priests be clothed with righteousness. May your saints sing for joy. He says in verse 7, let us go to his dwelling place. Let us worship at his footstool. It's the idea that even the temple of God could not obviously contain the glory of God or the sum total of God's character and nature and omniscience and omnipotence. And so in that sense, it's only a footstool. God is seated on a heavenly throne, but David even calls the nation, we're going to go to Jerusalem, we're going to worship the Lord. And so it is built by his son Solomon. And this passion of David's to worship God that you see reflected here throughout this chapter is a reminder to us to make the worship of God central to your life. Make the worship of God central to your life. And Scripture teaches that there are three primary ways that God is worshipped. The most common way, and these would be like subpoints underneath number 11 here. The most common way, the most familiar way that, that we instantly think of worship is through singing, right? I mean, when someone says, we're going to worship the Lord, the, the most common thing, the thing I think of first is, we're going to sing. And singing is definitely a way that we worship the Lord. It's our desire to express His immeasurable worth. That is what worship is. It is ascribing worthship unto God. And it takes the form of singing sometimes. Again, verse 9. At the end of verse 9, he says, May your saints sing for joy. We are told to sing. That's why we take a considerable amount of time in our worship services. At the beginning of each service, to sing unto the Lord, to worship Him. We are doing this because we want God to be honored and glorified from the very beginning of our gathering. And by the way, the singing is not just the opening act until the teaching time. Okay? Some of you think that. I'll just kind of skip the music part. We'll just get there for the Bible study. No, no, no. The first part is the important part of getting our hearts right before we can even properly understand and receive the word of God. We get our hearts right with God through worship. We exalt him. We humble ourselves. We even, if you feel the freedom to, lift your hands to the Lord. He even says over in chapter 134, lift up your hands in the sanctuary and praise the Lord. It's, it's part of an expression of worship. I got asked years ago, why do people lift their hands in church to worship God? You know, the, the best explanation to me, besides the Bible just says, lift your hands to the Lord. I heard a guy say one time, what's the first thing you do when you're held up by a robber? Because it's a natural sign of surrender. So you can feel the freedom to lift your hands and worship the Lord as part of singing unto God because it's just a symbol of surrender. You can be half surrendered. 
Some of you are, you know, surrendered upside down. It's all right. However you you want to sing. But singing is part of worshiping God. Psalm 96, 1 and 2. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Praise His name. Proclaim His salvation day after day. Psalm 47, verse 6 says, Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our King. Sing praises. All told, there are more than 400 references in the Bible to singing to God. And of those, 50 are direct commands to sing. Now, some of you hearing that might say, but wait a minute, I, I can't really sing. I can't carry a tune in a bucket. Yeah, we, we know. <laughs> we sit near you, we know. <laughs> but it's okay. There's a verse for you too. Psalm 98 verse 4, King James Version says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. You're making a noise. It's joyful though. And God hears it. It's sweet music to his ears. So sing, even if you feel like you can't. I told this story, but I'll never forget this remarkable moment that was such a teaching moment in my life. Several years ago, I was doing a funeral over here at Loudoun Funeral Chapel. And as part of the funeral, they asked me if I would lead in the singing of Amazing Grace. And so I did. And on the front row, just this awful singing. Just like, wow, that's a little, that's a little pitchy. I'm going to have a hard time singing this song and leading the congregation. Whoever, and, and loudly, this guy, he's like a 60-year-old guy who's just on the front row singing loudly, Amazing Grace. But it sounded so awful, <laughs> really bad. And I looked down. I just kind of glanced down in this direction because I didn't want to, like, you know, call him out. And this guy had had a tracheotomy. And he was singing out of a hole in his throat. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I felt like this big. Because I saw his exuberance and his excitement to worship the living God. And he sang out of a hole in his throat. And I thought, if that man can sing like that, which must be sweet-sounding to the ears of God, how much more should I sing out for his glory? How much more should you sing out for his glory? Singing is part of our worship, but it's not the only one. Another way that we worship is not just singing, but also, number two, living. Living. The Bible says in Romans 12:1, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Paul says there in Romans 12:1 that the way we live, that actually the way we conduct our bodies, that our bodies can be living instruments of worship to the Lord. In other words, that a life of holiness and purity brings worship to God. And Paul gets even more specific in Romans 6. He says, Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to Him as instruments of righteousness. In other words... When you and I live lives of purity and holiness before God, it brings worship to God. When you say, if you're single, 
When you say to your boyfriend or girlfriend, I'm not going to have sex with you because God's design is for that to be reserved for marriage, and you keep your body pure in that sense, you're worshiping God. When you say, I'm not going to abuse my body with illicit drugs or excessive alcohol, you are worshiping God. When you say, I will not look at pornography because I want my eyes to be used for the glory of God and not to be viewing wicked and evil and pornographic things, you bring worship to God. When you eat well and get good sleep and take care of your bodies, you actually are using your bodies as instruments of righteousness. You are bringing worship to God. When you decide to put a guard over your mouth and not say things that would be inappropriate, you are bringing worship to God. In other words, every way that we could possibly use our lives, our bodies, in purity and in holiness, bring worship to God. It's not just in our singing, it's also in our living. And number three... It's also in our giving. Paul commended the church in Philippi for their giving when he said in Philippians 4, 18 and 19, he said, your offerings, your offerings that you've given unto the Lord are a fragrant offering, a sacrifice that is pleasing to God. He said, actually, the the idea of giving unto the Lord is worshipful to God. And it is important for us to be generous because in our generosity, we are ascribing worth to God. You see, one of the qualities and characteristics of God is that he's generous. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And to the degree that we are generous, we we actually then show ourselves in the same character and nature as, as our Lord. Now, for some of you who say, well, if I, if I give, I, I might not have enough for myself. Well, see, that's the rest of Philippians 4.18 after he speaks about how your offerings are fragrant sacrifice to God. Then in verse 19, he says, and my God shall meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. You can't outgive God. God's people will never be begging for bread. God always takes care of us and will meet all of our needs. The Bible teaches the principle of tithing, which is to give a tenth. That is not an obligation of the law. We're under grace. It's an opportunity of grace. Because I'm convinced, and I've learned the hard way, I don't know if some of you can relate to this, that it is better in my life when I give God a tenth out of all that he's given me, because everything he's given has come from his hand. When I give God a tenth, I'm better able to live off of 90% than when I keep 100% and try to do it all myself. Can anybody relate to that? When you are tight-fisted about what God has given you, and you think, I'm just going to live off of my 100% that he's given me because I can manage it better, like, like you can do it better than God. That does not go as far as when you live off of the 90% he's given you because you've given that tenth to him. It's an expression of our worship. Make worship of God central to your life through singing, through living, through giving. Look at Psalm 133. Psalm 133, also three verses, very short. It is a song of ascents. It also was written by David. He says this in verse 1, How good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down upon the collar of his robes. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. So the theme of this psalm in a word is unity. That's how he begins this psalm in verse 1. How good and pleasant it is when brothers 
or sisters. He's talking about the church family, when people who love God get together and have unity among themselves. Unity is an important word in the church. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, Paul said it like this. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Look, a spirit of unity comes from God. He gives us unity, but we must keep what he has given us. That part is on us. That's why Paul exhorts there in Ephesians 4, 3, make every effort to keep what God has given you, to keep a spirit of unity in the bond of peace. And why is it that he commands us in this way, that he directs us? You better be careful to keep unity because what it implies to us is that unity does not come naturally. It does not come comfortably. We have to work at this. And why do we have to work at it? Because there are a lot of differences among us. And the differences among us add to the richness of the body of Christ. There is richness in the diversity of the body of Christ. But because of the diversity, we have to make sure we maintain unity. Because don't you know that Satan loves to bring division to the body of Christ? And he will exploit our differences to his advantage wherever and whenever possible. Be they differences along gender lines or racial lines or economic lines or education lines or denominational lines. Satan will do what he can to bring about division and discord in the body of Christ because he knows that we are less capable of advancing the kingdom when we are divided than when we are united. We must be united. We must come together and be a body, not just a cornerstone. I'm speaking about the church body in general that loves and respects and honors one another. Even Jesus said in Luke 11, 17, a house divided against itself cannot stand, cannot stand. So let me make it clear from Galatians 3.28. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. Amen? We're all one in Christ. Now, in saying that, let me throw a word of caution. Because unfortunately, there's this big ecumenical movement today, which wants to unite everybody and everything under one banner, the banner of love. Okay? I'm not about that. There are some churches and some organizations I just can't link arms with because of their unbiblical stance on matters that are important. Charles Spurgeon said, it's better to be divided by the truth than to be united in error. Okay? So I, I just can't simply link arms with every church and every organization just under the banner of love. But what I am talking about is we need to put aside our petty differences and our racial prejudices and our selfish preferences. And we need to do it all for the sake of unity in the church and the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what's important. So it's number 12 on our list, to keep the unity of the spirit among God's people. And David compares this unity, how good and pleasant it is. He compares it to two things. He compares it, number one, to anointing oil used to anoint the priests, specifically here, the first high priest, which was Aaron, the brother of Moses. And secondly, he compares it to the dew of Mount Hermon. And there are two things that I see 
in, in those comparisons. One is saturation, and one is that it's far-reaching. First, saturation. He says in verse 2, oil running down on Aaron's beard, running down over the collar of his robe. You know, here's what would happen back in the day when they would anoint a priest for service. They would set him apart by pouring olive oil over his head. And it would also be mixed with fragrant spices. It was all by prescription that God gave to Moses. So it was a very fragrant, aromatic oil. And they would pour it over the priest's head. And it would go down over his head. And in this case, over Aaron, over Aaron's head, over Aaron's beard, down onto the collar of his robes. Okay, picture someone drenched. That's the idea of unity here. It's the idea that, you know, unity is not just a little dab here and a little dab there. Unity is to saturate the church. That we should be so saturated, it should be so poured out amongst us in abundance that it it just completely, completely saturates us. People should be able to look at us as the church in general and, and even particularly us as a local church. They should be able to look at us and say, well, that's a diverse people. But they sure do have unity in their diversity. They should look at us and say, well, there's some different cultures, there's some different backgrounds, there's some different races, some different ages, some different denominations, there's some dark hair, there's some white hair, there's no hair. And it's good. But they all worship the same Lord. Let unity saturate us like the oil that ran down Aaron's beard and over his collar. Romans 12, 18 says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, Live at peace with all men. It's far-reaching, not just saturating. It's far-reaching because of his other analogy here. It's like dew from Mount Hermon that fell on Mount Zion. Now, Mount Hermon is the highest mountain in Israel. It's in the northernmost part of Israel, just past the Golan Heights. It stands 10,000 feet tall. They have skiing there year-round because of its elevation. Mount Hermon, 10,000 feet high... Mount Zion in central Israel in Jerusalem, 2,600 feet. And there's a great distance between the two, almost 200 miles. And David says, unity among God's people is like the dew of Hermon falling on Mount Zion, which says to me that unity is far-reaching. It has broad implications. Because Jesus even said in John 17, when he was praying for the church, he lifted up his his eyes toward heaven and he prayed for the church. He prayed for us. And he said in John 17, 23, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you, Father, sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Unity is not something we need to keep just for the sake of Cornerstone Chapel, though that's important. Unity is something that we need to keep for the sake of the gospel that advances around the world. Because the gospel needs to be advanced among people who are unified around the central person of Jesus Christ. Because we have to testify of Jesus. And if we're bickering, and if we're fighting, and if we're backstabbing and backbiting and all this kind of stuff, how in the world can we testify of Christ? So unity is important because it's far-reaching. It impacts the gospel around the world. Jesus said in John 13, 35, By this will all men know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. So, what happens on Mount Hermon impacts a great distance away 
May our unity have a global impact because people can see Jesus Christ in us. Each psalm we read is intended to point us to one thing, the sovereignty of our Creator. Through pain, tears, joy, and praise, we meet a new characteristic of God with each new chapter. Though we don't know the melodies that accompany this collection of old, we benefit from the deeply passionate and poetic words. We hope your soul has been touched by the teaching you heard today on Cornerstone Connection. Pastor Gary Hamrick will return soon with more from this Old Testament book. But in the meantime, you'll be able to find additional messages at cornerstoneconnection.cc. We'd like to encourage you to download our mobile app while you're there so you can stay connected to God's Word wherever you happen to be. Each day can be made brighter by the love and power of our Lord. And it's so convenient to have it right at your fingertips. If you live in or are visiting the Leesburg area, We'd love for you to come be a part of our weekly worship services on Sundays. Cornerstone Chapel meets at 8.30, 10, and 11.45 a.m. each week. Or try our Wednesday night Bible study at 7 p.m. For directions and more information, visit cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all for today, but be sure to join us next time for another in-depth look at the Psalms right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know You're not alone Real love is calling Listen, truth opens up your eyes Mercy is waiting for you With every sunrise Hope is an open ocean Jump in and you'll find Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.